Welcome to the Rooftop Leadership Podcast. In this episode, we're going to explore what you can do when things are falling apart. When things are falling apart in your family. When things are falling apart in your business or your work environment. When things are falling apart in your community or your school. When things are falling apart in your nation. Today, I received a phone call from a very, very dear friend of mine, and I'm going to change his name, and I'll call him Eddie. Eddie and I have been friends for many, many years. I I find him to be one of the most level-headed people I know. He is an amazing leader, and, you know, we we go all the way back to high school and college, And, and Eddie, he's one of these guys that, like, he's always taking care of everybody else. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe... Maybe you're like that as well. But, you know, Eddie has always got things under control and he always has. In fact, a lot of times when I kind of find that things are falling apart in my life, he's the guy that I go to. Even after all of my time in, in special ops and, and, and various businesses, you know, I always find that I can pick up the phone and talk to him and he just has this wonderful handle on things. But today he texted me and he said, look, I know you're super busy. I know you're writing today and you're working on your book, but can, can you take two minutes? And I knew something was up. So of course I did. I called him and, and, and he was so distraught. I could hear it in his voice. It was stuck in his throat, this, this anxiety uh, the creeping up upon fear. And he's not a kind of guy that, that really gets afraid of much because he's been through so much. And Eddie was like, Scott, you know, I am getting phone call after phone call, text after text, email after email from friends all over the country, on both sides of the aisle who hear that um, everything is about to really fall apart in the nation, that martial law is probably going to happen, and, 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 and we are going to be caught up in a civil war, and people are asking me what to do, and, and this is when he started to really get choked up. He's like, I don't, know, I don't know how to bring him down. Like People are so worked up right now that they, they can almost not even carry on a conversation. They're just shrill and yelling over the phone and I don't know how to handle it. Can you give me some advice? And as I listened to him talk about this, I started to realize that Eddie is not alone at all. In fact, this this is something that many of you are probably experiencing wherever you are, whatever side of the political spectrum you're on or wherever you come down on issues, you know, what we're seeing happen around us at a societal level right now is unprecedented in our lifetime. And it's something that we're going to unpack right now. We're going to, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would be talking to my American citizenry about this. I never thought that I would be, you know, that is the veterans dilemma in all of this is that we, you know, particularly combat veterans, we deployed overseas so that we could hopefully keep this from happening here. We don't want our, our children and, and, and the people in our society to see us harming each other or, or even treating each other with the contempt that we've been treating each other with. And it's it started to reach uh, some very, very high levels. And so as I started to think about this, I realized there are so many people experiencing this. They look around, you look around, and you see that trust is, is broken. You see that trust is damaged. There's these vast gaps, this churn uh, that are like tornadoes just twisting all around us and causing these isolated pockets of conflict. And then in some places, there's these massive sinkholes that seem to be opening up. Like we've seen 
with the civil unrest this summer and with the, the, the recent event at the Capitol. I mean, what the hell's going on? And, and, and at night, you know, when, when everybody else is sleeping, you're laying in your bed going, what's tomorrow going to bring? You know, is this going to affect my family? Are, are we actually safe here in America? And, you know, it shouldn't have to be that way. We should not, you should not have to feel this way as an American citizen, regardless of the, of the turmoil or, or challenges that we face in this country. We should be able to feel safe, at least to some degree, in our own country. And I don't care what your ethnicity or race or socioeconomic status is or religion, I believe something we should all try to aspire to and, and move toward is at least those bottom of the Maslowian, you know, pyramid there, uh, things like shelter and food and, and resources and psychological safety. Those need to be available to all of us. And if we if they're not, we're on a we're on a path for something really, really rough. But that is not the point of this podcast. We will talk more about what's at stake in future podcasts. But right now I want to just focus on you. Okay, I want to focus on what you can do in the face of things falling apart. And I'm going to talk to you as someone who has experienced what that looks like. I know what it's like to feel that. I know what it's like to feel that level of anxiety and even fear when you look around and 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 you see things falling apart and you see your friends turning to you in desperate ways asking you for help. I know that because I've I've deployed to Afghanistan and other places where my friends were harmed and killed, where we were under fire, where we faced hostile antagonists, whether it was pissed off tribal elders or, or insurgent forces or hardcore forces that were coming up against us. I've been in those places and wondered, what do I need to do next? And, and I know what that feels like when friends are really, really upset and, and even looking at potential harm, and everything seems to be falling apart. And for almost two decades, I, I operated in that world. And for the last decade, so nearly 30 years total, I've been working to, to better understand how we can lead in those situations, how we can lead when things fall apart, how we can lead when trust is low. And, and I'm going to talk to you now about some things that I believe you can do right now. And again, this has nothing to do with the other party. This has nothing to do with the people that you view as the opposition. This has to do with you, your family, and anyone you would call a neighbor. And hopefully any American citizen is still, you're still willing to consider them a neighbor. These are things you can do right now in your own arena. The first thing that I will say is we need to know what happens when fear sets in, right? We need to know what happens when fear sets in. Uh, if you want, you know, a truly clinical description of this, you can go to rooftopleadership.com. And um, if you go to the, the crisis leadership tab, there's all kinds of free content there, particularly one called Danger Close, where I sit with Diego Garcia, uh, <laughs> Diego Garcia, Dr. Diego Hernandez, and we talk about how fear sets in. But for the sake of, of right now, I think this will serve you. Um, we have to know what happens when fear sets in. That's the first thing, right? We, we've got to understand, you've got to understand, I'm asking you, that your 250,000-year-old body has a certain visceral response to fear that is wired into you, okay? We, humans are still around because we are very good at surviving. 
Um, you know, all animals have a survival mechanism and humans are no exception. When we are afraid, when we are threatened, when a threat presents itself for a quarter million years, as long as humans have been around, our nervous system kicks in. We have an emotional response and we go into a sympathetic state. That's where the nervous system basically goes all hands on deck, cortisol levels spike, um, testosterone drops, and, and everything mobilizes to either fight that threat, run from that threat, or freeze so that that threat doesn't see you. And all of the energy in your body takes you to that. And, and, and in many cases, the anger that, it, that, that comes forward in order to fight or the fear in order to run, it puts us in a trance-like state. We go into a semi-conscious state right? Where, where, where our body is taking over your, your blood memory, your cellular memory that, that has, that has conditioned you at a cellular level to run from a snake for all the times your ancestors have done it, it kicks in and it is overwhelming and it's very efficient and it's very effective for that threat. But what we have to understand is that in modern times, when we see things like social unrest or you know, threats of martial law or our 401k eroding in the face of a market crash because of a pandemic, the same nervous system kicks in with the same response. And our emotions are super elevated. And what happens, it, it, when, when we go into that sympathetic state of fight, flight, or freeze, it's great if there's a snake in the bushes or an immediate threat, but it's not great if it's a complex threat that we're going to have to lead through or respond to it to help other people. And whether that's our family or our friends, or even to come out of this thing in a way that we can survive on the other side with our dignity and status. And what I mean by that is that so many Americans right now are getting whooped up and worked up into this, this trance-like state that is fear-based. And it's manifesting as anger and fear and all of this, these high-range emotions that are primal we respond in a way that is primal, and it's not in the best interest of social capital or, or relationships or rapport or reciprocity or trust. The things that we need to actually thrive as a society, those go out the window because individual survival becomes the, the epicenter of what we're doing. And so it's very difficult to see the bigger picture. Or, or, or the value of relationships or respond in a meaningful way as a leader. Instead, we're having these semi-conscious primal responses, and that's not good. We just need to understand that first and foremost. Are you with me? Do you understand that, that that's what's happening around you to everyone around you? And, and, and it's probably happened to you at some point in your life, and maybe it's happening to you now. And so I'm just first, I need you to recognize that, that, that that response for what we are looking at in the country today is not the appropriate response right now. There is always a time that a sympathetic response, a fight, flight, or freeze is appropriate for a leader. But I will tell you that it is very, very rare, okay? And, and it's usually in a life or death type situation. It is not in situations that we're facing today. Even though the stakes are high and the, um, the issues are white hot, it does not warrant a sympathetic response. That is becoming the default for everything. And the response for that is a quarter million primal, quarter million year 
old primal response that is not conducive to civil society and to what for what we need civil society to be. So we've got to break that trance-like state, trance-like state, but we cannot if we don't know what's happening. So there you go. That's step one, is understand what's happening to you and those around you. Now, the second step is to is in, 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 when things are falling apart is we have to manage emotional temperature and it starts with managing your own emotional temperature. That's the second thing. Once we understand what's happening and we have an appreciation that our bodies are primal mechanisms that respond the same way they did a quarter million years ago, even in modern times, now we're in a position to go to the next level and manage our own emotional temperature. You know, Professor James Clausen, a guy I co-taught leadership with at Uh, who was from Darden University, he says, leadership is the management of energy, yours and those around you. So you have to start with your own. I remember when we would go into these tribal villages in Afghanistan in 2010, 2011, to to try to influence the villagers to work with us after 10 years uh, of us being there in very high conflict with those villagers and them having gone through almost 40 years of war, you can imagine the tensions were very high, emotions were very high. And oftentimes they were already in a sympathetic state when we would arrive. And because right after 9-11, we would walk in in a sympathetic state as well. Our body armor on, we're all amped up, fingers on the trigger. And oftentimes what was meant to be a civil engagement would, would spiral into violence, would spiral into people being killed. And I've seen it first, firsthand. I've been part of it. And so I can tell you that if you don't manage your emotional temperature, in a high-stakes situation, that situation will own you every single time, and you won't like the results. No matter how justified you think you are in your position, you will not like the results, right? So if we're going to come out on the other side of these situations with our dignity and, and frankly, our families and, and our communities intact, we've got to manage our own emotional temperature. We've got to manage our own energy. Now, what do we need to do? Well, first of all, there's a good chance that with the energy levels being the way they are, we're inundated with social media. We're inundated with the 24-hour news cycle. A lot of these people, like the friends that the people that called my, my friend Eddie, they're watching 24-hour news nonstop. They're on Twitter nonstop. And they're engaging in this what I call the churn, which is just this social unrest, these tornadoes, these twisters of conflict, distrust, distraction that are basically keeping us from connecting with one another, this churn, right? And so we have got to change our response mechanism. We've got to move from a sympathetic state to a parasympathetic state. If you want to manage your own emotional temperature, which is the first thing we got to do, we had to do it in Afghanistan uh, when a gunfight would kick off or an IED would go off. Yes, you need that sympathetic state, but at some point, You need to be able to respond and think through and make cognitive decisions that are bigger than just the immediate event. You have to be able to think two, three, four moves down the road, right? As a a leader, don't you want to be able to do that? Well, you can't do that if you allow yourself to be in that sympathetic state. So we need to get to a parasympathetic state. We need to go from fight, flight, or freeze to calm and connect, which is parasympathetic. That's where the body in a semi-conscious state is, is metabolizing what's going on, and it moves almost into a trance-like state that's positive, right? Where you're open, you're not closed off, you're not worried about survival, you're more focused on connection. 
and and it's that it's that yin and yang that's designed to metabolize all of those unhealthy neurotoxins that the body puts out in that sympathetic state, right? It's a way to metabolize and at that emotional level into something productive. And our body, your body knows what to do, but getting to that state is not easy, right? So the first thing I would say on managing your own emotional uh, temperature is to avoid the triggers that are causing it. Now that might seem counter or it might seem intuitive, but I don't think it is. You know, I don't think it is at all because I'll say things like, well, uh, how often are you on your phone? You know, you shouldn't be on your phone. You shouldn't be on Twitter when all of this stuff's going on. You shouldn't be glued to the 24-hour news cycle, whether it's CNN or Fox. They're both, they're both equal contributors to manipulating your attention. And again, if you don't know that, you're deluding yourself, right? To sit there and say that like CNN is intellectually honest and Fox is not or vice versa, you're deluding yourself. You're, you're part of that churn. And this is where you're going to have to help yourself and just get away from those triggers that are actually consciously designed to tap into um, the neurotransmitters in your body like uh, cortisol and dopamine. You know, when, when the news alert comes across the screen, that is, a, that is a dopamine shot. That's a dopamine dispenser to hold your attention longer. Same with your, with your phone and social media. So we need to avoid those triggers, particularly right now, if you know that you're agitated, if you know that you are being kind of drawn into and you find yourself agitated and anxious, then we need to change the environment. Dr. Benjamin Hardy talks about this for a range of reasons, but we have to change our environment, right? If we're going to navigate through this thing without getting into that sympathetic state, or if we need to go into a parasympathetic state, turn off. Turn off the social media. You know, I told uh, Eddie today on our call, he's getting ready to make a trip with his wife. And I said, you know, the only thing you should really be focused on right now is not trying to answer all the your friends who are giving you all these, you know, warnings and what are we going to do? It should be, how do I have a trip with my spouse that will make it the most enjoyable as possible? How do I, how do I move through the next 24 to 48 hours uh, really connected to the people in my life that matter the most. Because trust me, if you can do that right now, that's one of the most relevant things you can do as a leader and turn all that other shit off, right? I have completely, completely turned off the 24-hour news cycle. I haven't watched the 24-hour news cycle in, I mean, I can't even tell you the last time. And and just so you know, I went on the 24-hour news cycle as a guest all the time. I went on um, CNBC, I went on Fox Business, I went on CNN, I went on Fox News, you name it. And I went on all of them and I've seen all of them for what they are on the back end and they are manipulators of your attention, right? And so I just stopped it because I saw what was going on. Uh, actually, it was, in the, it was in the last election, the presidential election. I saw how they were fomenting instability between groups by competing for attention and then dividing when they get that attention, similar to what they talk about in The Social Dilemma. So I stopped. I stopped I stopped participating in that. Now, every now and then I'll go on, like if our play is happening or there's a veterans issue or something that I feel, but I don't go on and talk about terrorism anymore or any of those things. It's been a long time. And I'm very judicious if I do. It's I try to do it for a greater good, and I try to do it in a really balanced way where I go on multiple platforms, not just one. But my point to you is, the 24-hour news cycle is one of the biggest culprits right now in taking you into that sympathetic state or keeping you there. 
Another one is your mobile device, right? It, it, anything that you are, any alerts that you're getting on real-time feeds uh, plus social media, um, it's not healthy. It's just not healthy right now. I think, honestly, it is a digital killing field. I believe that th what, ha what the tech giants have created is potentially a digital killing field. When, we, when history looks back on what's happening in our arena and what happened in our country, uh, social media, the tech giants will be found extremely culpable for some horrific things. And they know what they've created and they know what they're doing. And it is, um, it is not something that is going to help you manage uh, the kind of state that you need to be in in a healthy way to lead through a crisis. So my recommendation would be really be judicious about your mobile device usage, your access to the internet, um, you know, 24-hour news cycle, and really ask yourself how much of this you need and how much of this is just feeding your sympathetic state. How much of this is actually is, is where you are actually at the will of these devices and these and these uh, these elements of information, right? Because if you you if you do that, you're surrendering control, and some some bad things could potentially happen. Okay, so that's the avoid the triggers, right? If 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 there are people around you who trigger you, who set you into a state, you don't have to unfriend them. You don't have to um, uh, you know tell them to f off. You can simply say, you know, right now, I just think I just need to take a break from this if it's okay. So I'm just going to spend some time with my family. You know, there's a way to do this with respect and we can create boundaries around ourselves. We can spend time more deeply with people who uh, don't work us up like that. And right now, in my opinion, is a time to do that, right? It's a time to really get protective of our environment, not just with us, our, but starting with ourselves. All right, next is ask yourself, what can I control? What can I not control? I remember one time as an operations officer working in Afghanistan, uh, a chopper went down carrying my, my best friend um, and also a, a lot of my former soldiers from the company that I had commanded. And I was the operations center and the control center watching all this happen as that chopper went down and the Taliban were hitting our friends from three sides and guys were injured and they were all screaming for help. And it was complete chaos. Everything in my life was falling apart. And I had to take a step away from that. And I talk about this in, in my video series on the website, uh, Leading Through Chaos, and the book, Leading Through Chaos. I say, what I asked myself in that moment, what can I control? What can I not control? My father had taught me that when he talked about fighting the big wildland fires out west. When fire would start to overrun the fire line, he would say, what can I control? What can I not control? Right, And if we're in a sympathetic state, we can't even ask ourselves that question. But if we're in a parasympathetic state, if we've avoided the triggers that take us into that and we're, you know, we're, we're doing the things that keep us in that parasympathetic state, then um, I can ask myself that, right? If before I said, I want to be real clear here, I may have misspoken. We want to be in a parasympathetic state, right? And so when I'm in a parasympathetic state, I can ask myself, what can I control what can I not control? That's the next step in managing your own emotional temperature is just ask yourself that question and write it down. I did that today. I pulled out my iPad and on the left column before I did this podcast, I asked, what can I control? What can I not control? I can't control that, you know, martial law may be at hand. I can't. I can't control that, you know, 78 million people feel one way and another 78 million people feel this way and that both of them are, you know, um, claiming to be right. I can't control that. 
You know, I there I can't control nor can Eddie the fact that so many of his friends are are literally in a spiral of churn and and they are emotionally lost. I can't control that, but here's what I can control. I can control how I respond to it. I can control how I even respond to martial law. If I stay in a parasympathetic state, the same way I could control how I responded to that horrific chopper crash. And by managing my own energy and how I controlled to it, I was able to work with my team and find options for evacuation and quick reaction forces and medical support. And we got everybody out of there alive. And I don't know that we would have if I had if I had allowed my sympathetic state to take over and and I had got consumed with the things I couldn't control, like the chopper was down and my buddies were injured. You see what I mean? And and the same is true here. Some very tough things may happen in the next few days, next few weeks. I don't know. I can't control that. But I can control how I prepare and respond for them. And I can stay in a parasympathetic state. And when I am in a parasympathetic state, I am open to not only better connections with other people, but I'm open to the broader culture, the broader community. I'm more able to listen. When you're in a sympathetic state, you can't hear because physiologically your body is pushing everything toward the response to survive. That's why combat veterans always tell people, civilians, that in combat, the bullets get quiet because you don't need to hear them. Everything's focused on survival. Well, the same thing. People can't listen to you or you can't hear people when you're in a sympathetic state, right? So so I really do want to focus on what I can control and what I can't and maybe write it down. And then once I have that, and I'm looking at that, now I can start to focus on some things that I can control. For example, I can talk to you. That's something I can control right now. We can have a conversation. I can take the lessons that I learned in combat about managing my own emotional temperature, and I can actually talk with you about them. I can use this platform right here. We don't have to talk about whether you're a Democrat or Republican. We don't have to talk about whether you want to wear a mask or not wear a mask. What we can talk about is, is a mutual enemy that we both face, which is anxiety and fear. And I can share with you lessons from combat on how to regulate your own emotional temperature and those around you. How about that? I can control that. And in doing that, it has a prolific effect on how we're connected with each other and how you might lead, right? So once I get a, a, an understanding of that, then I need to actually start taking some action. I need to start taking some action to actually manage my own temperature and get me ready to lead. Right. That's what this is all about. I want to get ready to lead because guess what? Nobody else is coming. <laughs> Nobody else is coming. Are, are you? If, if we're waiting, I mean, look around right now and be really intellectually honest with yourself. Look at the leadership and ask yourself both sides of the aisle. Honestly, are, are they bridging? Are they trying to lead uh, our citizenry? No, they're not. And, and, and the reality is diversity permeates in our society all the way down to the community level. And so we have to recognize that there are diversity of opinions and ethnicities and religions all around us. And if we allow ourselves to stay in a sympathetic state, then we will be at the mercy of that in-group, out-group behavior that's already out there bashing up against itself. So, you know, what I want to do is I want to get myself ready to lead. I want to get myself ready to bridge and be relevant to the people in my arena, regardless of their political opinion, because that's what rooftop leaders do, right? So how do I do that? Well, I need to metabolize the high emotion. I need to metabolize. Um, we're emotional creatures. We're actually wired to be emotional, right? 
Um, you know, there's an old saying that logic makes people think, emotion makes people act. The limbic brain, the mammal brain doesn't even understand language. It acts off emotion. And in times of high stress, you better believe emotion is at the epicenter. So I want to metabolize that emotion. And I can actually do that. Like your body knows what to do when it gets in a parasympathetic state. But here's the problem. It doesn't really know how to get there <laughs> from the sympathetic state, which, by the way, has become the default state of most citizens today in modern society because we carry around those damn dopamine dispensers that are always vibrating and buzzing in our ear, telling us that something new is about to, and exciting is about to happen in our life or jack up the cortisol because you're missing something or the world's coming to end to an end. So so I want to be able to do the things that will metabolize the emotion and bring me out of that default state of sympathetic, fight, flight, or freeze to, to parasympathetic. One is diaphragmatic breathing. Diaphragmatic breathing, engaging my diaphragm on the inhale and squeezing my abs and intercostal muscles on the exhale. And three to five good diaphragmatic breaths with your eyes closed in a quiet place can actually reset you into a parasympathetic state. How cool is that? And I'm telling you that not as some kumbaya theorist. I've done it in combat. You know, I've done it immediately after gunshots were fired and the enemy was flanking or a close air support needed to be called in. And I had to be seriously on my game. I used diaphragmatic breathing to bring my temperature and emotional temperature from a sympathetic state, which was needed at that moment, into a parasympathetic state so that I could do the next thing. You understand what I'm saying? So you know, being able to do diaphragmatic breathing is and being connected to our breath in moments like this of crisis, it's everything. Gosh, breath is so important. And it's not just breathing, breathing. It's, it's that diaphragmatic breathing. Listen, if you wanted to get a great book right now to help you with this, um, Belisa Baranich and her book, Breathing for Warriors, man, get that thing. In the, in the pinch, while you're waiting on it, um, you know, I'll talk about it here, how to do it, but like you can Google her, you know, Belisa Veronich and, and, and we'll put some links in the show notes here. Uh, this is a note to Wes to do that. So, so, you know, check her out because three to five good diaphragmatic breaths and you're back in a parasympathetic state and you're ready to lead, right? You've metabolized that high emotion. So let me just talk you through, uh, in an audio way, how to do this. What I do is I sit up on the edge of my chair. Uh, Dr. B calls it a rock and roll breath or a lower body breath. Uh, but all you do is sit up straight. Uh, we're going to breathe with our belly. It's a belly breath, right? So put like your right hand on your belly, your left hand on your chest, and you're just going to breathe through your mouth so that you can really focus on this. And you're going to expand on the uh, on the inhale. Stick your belly out. Guys, you have to do it too. And then we're going to squeeze belly to spine on the exhale, like air coming out of a balloon. Squeezing belly to spine and then expand again. Squeeze belly to spine. One more. Expand. Squeeze belly to spine. Open your eyes slowly. How about that, huh? Just like that. Just like that. Three breaths, you probably notice the difference in your state. You probably notice the difference. As you're doing that, notice your feet on the floor. Notice the temperature in the room. Right? Notice the feel of your hands on the desk or on your belly. That sensory awareness while you're breathing will drop you in and you'll be in that parasympathetic state. It doesn't take long and it metabolizes that anxiety, that high energy, and it gets you present and ready to lead. How cool is that? We can regulate our own state. 
We're not at the mercy of Facebook and Instagram. We're not at the mercy of the Democrats and Republicans. We're at the mercy of our own breath. And we can move effortlessly from sympathetic to parasympathetic if we're willing to lead. Okay. Now, another thing that is really great way to metabolize uh, high emotion is to move. You know, in the book, uh, The Human Givens, uh, Terrell and Givens talk a lot about how movement and meaning are inextricably linked. And for me, like when I get really amped up or anxious, my wife will say, get your butt out in the gym and do a workout or go for a run right now. And she knows me because it's true. If I get out and just move. So if you're feeling super anxious, go for a walk with your spouse. Go for a walk by yourself. Do some push-ups. Do some burpees. But move. Do some functional movement. And you'll find that you will metabolize a lot of that tough energy. And if you want to really get a twofer, go do the functional movement. Get a good sweat on. And then lay on a yoga mat and do this diaphragmatic lower body breath that I just did with you. Like 20 reps in quiet darkness uh, on your back right? And it'll really drop you in. And guess what? It's preparing you to lead. It's getting you in a state where you can really focus on what you can control, what you can't. And when you do that, it really has a, a powerful impact. Now, the next thing, uh, the next step, once you get yourself in that parasympathetic state, is now it's time to manage the emotional temperature of people around you. Um, this is what leaders do. And this is what, when I say nobody's coming, this is why I say that. This is why I say that, because I grew up in an environment in special operations where leaders really did their job for the most part. They they managed the emotional temperature of the people around them. They made sure everybody felt psychologically safe. They were connected to each other. They created an environment that required that. Everybody was green. We didn't tolerate, you know, different groups competing. It was everybody's green. And then we, you know, we knew with our leaders that we had a shared future with each other like that we were going to support each other shoulder to shoulder. Well, there's no reason that leaders, you, can't do that right now. And we're going to talk about throughout this podcast series how to do that. But it starts by managing the emotional temperature of the other party because that correlates directly to psychological safety. Think about it. If you don't feel safe around other human beings, whether it's, you know, you've gotten worked up over the election or whether you've gotten worked up over COVID or you just feel like something bad's about to happen and this person across from you has something to do with it, you don't feel safe, right? And if you don't feel safe, you're not going to connect and, and you're going to be amped up too. So how do, you, how do you bring the other party's emotional temperature down? Because that has to do with psychological safety. Once you can establish a level of safety, then people start to get connected and then they ultimately become ready to listen. But it starts, leadership starts with emotional temperature. It starts with managing your own energy and then the other party. So how do you do that? How do you manage the, the, the energy of the person across from you? And we'll remember also, um, you know, Stuart Diamond in his book, Getting More, he talks about, and I trained under him for years. And, and he said, you know, the thing you should always assume in a negotiation, particularly a high stakes negotiation, is that the other party is always going to be emotional. Well, the same is true in this situation, you should assume that the other party is going to be in a sympathetic state. And not only are they going to be worked up in that trance-like state where they are at the mercy of primal anger or primal fear that is acting on them, happening to them, not for them, they are untrained. They are untrained. And that includes the leaders who claim to be leaders today, politicians, uh, media, some corporate leaders, community leaders. Anyone, 
in my professional opinion of three decades of bridging trust leadership, leading people from diverse cultures and and various backgrounds, what I found that anyone who is fomenting instability for the advancement of their own agenda in a liberal democracy is not really leading, right? They are they are a social insurgent. And we'll talk more about language later. I don't use the word insurgent loosely, but so, you know, how do we, your leaders right now are not doing this. They're not managing the emotional temperature of the people around them. They're only managing the emotional temperature of the people in their own circle. You know, the people that they're bonded with, they're not managing the emotional temperature of the people beyond that. And that may be true for you too, right? But but ultimately, a solid leader is someone who can manage emotional temperature even for the person who's across from them. Now, there's a way to do this that's pretty cool. Um, the first thing is, is to recognize, though, let, let's just start simple, though. You know, my mom asked me the other day, well, what can I do? Well, for starters, you can manage your own emotional temperature like we talked about here. You can know what's happening to your body, and then you can recognize that the people right around you are probably going to need some some leadership too. They're going to need their emotional temperature managed, right? And and to recognize that they're not trained. This could be family members. This could be people in your company. They're all worked up, right? They're in that trance-like state. And, and, and so the best thing you can do immediately is to show up in a parasympathetic state. You can show up in that parasympathetic state and even do things like while you're engaging them, just synchronize your breath with their breath. I used to do this a lot when I was engaging, uh, particularly in semi-hostile situations or hostile situations with tribal elders. Um, I would I would synchronize my breath with their breath, and semi-consciously, at a subliminal level, the other party will start to pick up on this, and it will start to create a level of mental coupling, a level of connection, and even empathy. It's incremental, but it works. And as you do that, you'll listen better you'll start to open up to them. And that openness, it is, it is what we call attunement. It's, it's older than language. It's, it's what humans do because we're social creatures. So just, uh, you know, synchronize with their breath. And there are other attending behaviors you can do as well. One of the biggest you can do when you're managing the other party's emotional temperature is just be an empathetic witness, right? Is make up your mind to do what Dr. Benjamin Hardy says and personality isn't permanent, is to be an empathetic witness in the service of the people in your arena. Now, you can decide maybe right now you only want to be an empathetic witness for your family and your immediate friends and your coworkers. Fine, right? But the world needs, the country needs, your business, your family needs a leader who is an empathetic witness right now. And all that means is, is that you are going to show up and bear witness to the other party's pain and dreams without judgment. Shit, I think I just defined that better than Hardy did. <laughs> but that's the truth. That's what you're doing. You're just going to show up and you're going to help that person move through their own trauma drama by being a witness to their pain and their dreams with empathy. It doesn't take a lot. In fact, if you'll just synchronize with their breath and decide before you even engage that you're going to pursue discovery and you're just going to meet this person where they are, not where you want them to be, it will automatically start to happen. Your body knows what to do. But some rules that you can take into being an empathetic witness is don't have an agenda. First of all, just make, you know, make making the other person feel safe, heard, and connected 
your agenda. It costs you nothing. You don't have to agree with them. It's just help them, you know, get their get their breath back and just help them feel heard. Don't, you know, some rules are don't judge. Don't have an agenda. Don't judge. Don't offer advice. There's too much advice being offered, I think, these days, right? And as particularly in situations where emotional temperatures are high, the other party's not ready to hear your advice. They are not. They physiologically can't hear a damn word you're saying because they're in a sympathetic state. Remember, the bullets get quiet when we're in that state of fight, flight, or freeze. And all you do when you offer advice or judge is agitate them. And we're, we're social creatures, so we just mirror each other. They go up a notch, then you go up a notch, right? So just don't judge. Don't have an agenda. Don't offer advice. And just meet them where they are, not where you want them to be. And if you do that, you'll find that you'll validate them. There'll be a level of reciprocity that will come out of that. And just use discovery and curiosity as your focus and, you know, your rocket fuel and the outcome that you're looking for. If you're like, okay, well, discovery of what? All right, I'll give you some specificity. Can you ascertain, can you determine what their immediate pain points are? Like, what's the pain on the surface that they're feeling? Well, I just, right now, I just feel so damn mad. I'm, I'm mad. Well, why? Well, because I don't like the way the election went. Well, tell me more about that. Well, it's this. I mean, just something like that, right? It doesn't have to be. It's 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 simply trying to get clear on what their pain points are and also what their goals or their dreams are, right? You know, it's just to try to use curiosity and discovery to determine those two things. Why? Because that's what humans use to navigate the world. And the more you can bring it back to that and the more they feel validated in that regard, guess what happens? naturally their emotional temperature starts to come down because they've been heard, they're validated, they're social creatures, they've been seen. And it doesn't mean that you have to agree with it or subscribe to it. You're simply being an empathetic witness that's helping them find their feet on the ground again, helping them get their legs underneath them. And a big way you can do this, here's another tip, get ready for it, I hope you're writing these down, are thoughtful, open-ended questions, right? Thoughtful, open-ended questions when you engage with this person. Well, you say that um, the election has really got you spun up or what happened on Capitol Hill. Can you, can you just tell me more about that? Where, where, where's that coming from? What's, that, what's going on there? And just let them talk. And remember, don't judge, don't offer advice, and then ask a follow-up. Well, tell me more about that. Or how do you feel about that? Right? Not yes or no questions, but just allow them. And, you know, Dr. Ara Sapaya, he says five levels of why. Toyota actually brought that up. But if you can ask follow-up questions a couple of times and maybe get down to the to the why of it, three, four, even five levels. But the more you engage in that you just ask thoughtful questions that get to what are their pain points and what are their dreams, you're going to be amazed at how that will lower emotional temperature. And here's another thing that's crazy. They'll start to get ready to listen. The more you can engage that way with that kind of attunement, those nonverbals of synchronizing with their breath and attending behavior of just making eye contact and you know, a, you know, nodding in out affirmation at appropriate times, you know, smiles every now and then, uh, just being present, connected to your breath and synchronized with theirs, they'll start to sense that. And and thoughtful, open-ended questions, they'll start to tell you more about what they're feeling in relation to their pain. And their goals. And if your if your ideal number one goal is to just be an empathetic witness and get clear on that, they'll sense that. At a semi-conscious level, they'll sense it and you'll start to get a level of reciprocity. And at some point, and it's palpable, they'll be ready to listen. 
And maybe the only goal that you go into this engagement with is just to help them get their emotional temperature down where they're in a good place. And then at that point, you could say, would it be okay if maybe I shared a few things with you? And that's what I did with Eddie today. I listened first and let him talk. And then I said, would it be okay? Because I knew I understood his pain and his goals. And I, and I had reaffirmed that back to him. And he knew that I got him. So would it be okay if I shared a few things with you on this? And he was like, sure. So I got his permission. And I just said, you know, I think one of the first things, Phil, is that you shouldn't have to deal with this, right? You've got enough going on. I think you having your own emotional temperature is the most important thing. And here's some ways that you can do that. And I shared those. And then I said, and maybe you want to share this with your friends and you can pass it forward. And it was a great conversation. So we just spoke about things that we talked about here. And you could do the same thing. When it is time to speak, I would say, make sure you understand their pain and their dreams before you offer anything up. And maybe just make the goal to like uh, help them bring their emotional temperature down and maybe help others with it. And always ask permission to do that. You can speak about things that were mentioned here. Um, or if you want, just send them a copy of this podcast. But the idea of dropping their emotional temperature to an acceptable level seems like a great goal. Don't overreach with it. Don't try to change their thinking or you know dig into the issue. That's not the point. There's time for that later. We can't do that when people are in a sympathetic state. Right, And then again, just ask them to do the same and pay it forward. Now, one other thing I want to talk about here, um, you can't help everybody. And I told Eddie the same thing. I said, some of these folks that you're talking to, they have gone into the primal spiral. That It's the equivalent of you know a drowning person who has just completely gone semi-conscious and primal and will take you down if you have to you know jump in the water and save them. And so I would ask you, as you look around your arena right now and you see these tornadoes of churn, that are spinning everywhere. And in some cases, unfortunately, these organizational sinkholes that have opened up from the same levels of distrust is you have to triage and you have to decide, okay, if I can go in the water and, and help some people, uh, where can I help? And, and it's not about who do I want to help. I mean, you can do that, but it's more about who's going to pull you down, who is so uh, entrenched right now in this, this churn that if you try to grab their shoulder, they're going to pull you down with them. That person is not capable of your help right now. You know, you can't, you cannot save them or connect with them when they are literally flailing around in survival mode. They're just not ready to listen. Now, they may be at some point, but it's better to focus on folks that are, they, their emotional temperature is not completely redlined and they're still, will. there's some trust there or they're at least willing to hear you. And you'll get a sense real quick of who those folks are. And I think right now, that's where we need to focus and then ask them to do the same, you know, ask them, you know, and have this conversation with, because this is what leaders do, isn't it? Isn't this what we should really be talking about right now instead of the issues when everybody is in a super aroused fight, flight, or free state? I mean, that's, that is akin to war talk, which we're going to talk about in one of our next episodes, right? But this drowning analogy, I think is useful as you navigate your human terrain is ask yourself, like, who's going to pull me down? Don't, don't even bother with that because it's not going to work. And the other thing is you can't, um, you can't process other people's emotions for them. My breath coach, Jesse Torgerson, she says, trying to process someone else's emotions, even if you love them dearly, is like trying to digest their food for them. You can't do it. You're not equipped to it, to do it. Every human is equipped to process their own emotions. So if people are in this amped up state and they're, fearing for their lives that martial law is going to happen tomorrow. Okay, it might. Right? But but you can't you can't go into that amped up state with them. Right? Just because they are. You can try to reach them through the 
process that I just talked about here. But if you can't, I suggest step back from it and move on to somebody that you can help and focus on your own emotional temperature. You're no good to us if you're in a sympathetic state like everybody else. And I'll wrap this thing by saying that, look, you know, this is our first duty as leaders. This is what we have to do. This is what we had to do in combat. And this is what we have to do now. But but the, the leaders that we normally count on to do this are not doing it. They're not doing it. And if they are doing it, they're only doing it in a limited, selfish fashion to serve the people in their in-group. And that's not what rooftop leaders do. We recognize that there is diversity in appearance. There is diversity in opinion. There is diversity in background. And it is that diversity that is our strength. But if we allow diversity to divide us, then we truly become primal in a negative trance-like way. And the outcome is predictable. So this is your first duty as a leader. It's my duty as a leader. And recognizing that no one else is coming, we have to do this. And so if you're asking yourself, what can I do? I just gave you a shit ton of things you can do, right? I just gave you a shit ton of things you can do. Start by managing your own, you know, by, by managing your own emotional temperature. Figure out what you can control and not control, right? And then start to manage the other emotional temperatures around you using a solid triage method and not getting yourself pulled down. And, you know, again, and then go back to what can I control? What can I not control? And remember to manage your environment. Don't let stuff take you down and trigger you when you know it does. Okay. And and the thing is, we got this, you've got this, but it starts with us. It starts with you and me. Leadership is local. I've always believed that. I've always believed that we've got to stop putting our power in leaders who don't have the game. They don't have the training. They're not trained in what we're talking about. And if they are, then they're willfully ignoring it. How bad is that, right? So either they are hopelessly incompetent to lead and manage emotional temperature in the room, or they're willfully ignoring it. Both are super dangerous and we cannot wait any longer. We can address the issues that everybody's up in arms literally about, but we cannot do it until we bring the collective emotional temperature down to an acceptable level so that civil discourse can take place in a liberal democracy. And right now, rooftop leadership is reaching out and looking for leaders who can do that. And the first step is to manage emotional temperature when things fall apart. You've got this. Join our tribe at rooftopleadership.com. Go there, be part, you know, subscribe to our newsletters and our vlogs. And my promise to you is this, is I'm going to keep talking to you. I'm not going to go anywhere. And um, I know it's hard. And, 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 and as a veteran, it's hard for me to see this happen in our country. But we got this. We got this. We can lead through this. But we can't wait anymore for leaders who are fomenting this kind of division. They, 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 are, not, they are not the ones that will lead us through this. You are. And so I want you to take these recommendations and put them into play. We need you. Thanks for what you do, and I'll see you on the rooftop. Mm-hmm.